0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jonah, and this morning we will be in chapter 1. As you turn, it's an incredible privilege to stand here this morning and have us open up God's Word together as we consider a book of the Bible that will be familiar to many of us this morning. Perhaps if you are one of our young people, you may have had this story read to you before you go to bed. The story of Jonah and the big fish. My hope this morning is that as we take a deeper look into our text, that we will see that this is a story with a meaning that is so much more exciting than a prophet being swallowed by a fish. Of course, the hero of this book is not Jonah, the grumpy prophet, The hero isn't even the giant fish appointed by God to go and swallow Jonah. Our hero in this book, just like in every other book of the Bible, is our incredible God. And we will see that as we study together right now. So let's read our text. Jonah chapter 1 from verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord held a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah he'd gone down into the inner part of the ship and he'd lain down and he was fast asleep. So the captain came down and said to him what do you mean you sleeper arise call out to your God perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do with you that the sea might quieten down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hold me into the sea, and the sea will quieten down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. So before we dig into our text this morning, I'll be referencing other parts of the book of Jonah so let's just do a quick 60 second 100 foot flyover of the following three chapters of this fascinating book that we'll be reading today so you may remember that in chapter two the chapter straight after ours, Jonah is brought to his senses from deep within the belly of this fish as he cries out to the Lord in prayer the Lord then spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land back in the direction of Nineveh the place where he was originally asked to go. Jonah then makes his way to this great city and he tells them, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's chapter 3 verse 4. And in response, the people of Nineveh, more than 120,000 persons, from the greatest to the least, believed God and responded in repentance by fasting and putting on sackcloth. And then in chapter four, the final chapter of this short book, we see Jonah's reaction to all that has just happened. Just for four chapters and only 48 verses long. Jonah is an incredible book. And today we're going to zoom in and focus on two aspects which I think will be particularly helpful to us as we continue to get excited about evangelism within Eastbourne over the coming months. Firstly, today we are seeking to look at the call of Jonah and what that looked like in its context roughly 2,700 years ago and as he was told to take a message of judgment to Nineveh and how that relates to us and our mission as Christians today in 2021. And Lord willing, if asked to come back and preach again in a few weeks' time, we will rejoin where we finished today in the book of Jonah and look at the sovereignty of God and what that means to us as an evangelistic church. As a group of believers that want to share the most precious and important thing that we have in our lives as Christians. The hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to our text. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So, that's God's command to Jonah, and here is his response. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, which is in completely the opposite direction in Spain. So this morning, here we have a prophet of God called Jonah, being given a direct message from the Lord to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city which is modern-day Mosul in Iraq, and call out against it. A direct Easy to understand instruction from God. And of course, it's easy to read this and for us to roll our eyes at Jonah, as we say in our minds, why didn't you just do as you were told? Your mission is clear. Take this message of judgment and deliver it as clearly as you can. Mission accomplished. Well, before we use this text to hold a mirror up to ourselves and our own lives this morning, let's spread spend some time Briefly, to understand the context of this passage, Jonah was, of course, a prophet to the ten northern tribes of Israel, sharing a similar context setting as Amos during a time of relative peace and prosperity in Israel. During this time, both Syria and Assyria were weak, allowing Jeroboam II to expand the northern borders of Israel back to where they were during the time of David and Solomon, 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23-27. to 27. And although Israel enjoyed a season of prosperity, spiritually, they were bankrupt. Amos chapter 4 verse 1. Nineveh, originally founded by Nimrod, was infamous for being a hostile, evil, violent city. Commentators suggest that the population would have been around 120 to 150,000. So if you add Eastbourne and Halsham together, we would be similar in number. But unlike Eastbourne, this place was not known for its hospitality and welcoming of guests. If you were to have braved a visit during this time, you would have found a walled city, warning visitors away with some of the most X-rated violent acts you can imagine. Ironically, if you are familiar with this book of the Bible, known for its fish narrative, the nation was known to worship many idols and false gods, including Dagon, the fish god. And many Bible commentators, when discussing the motivation or rather lack of motivation for Jonah wanting to go to Nineveh, sometimes lean on the point that Jonah was probably very scared as a Jewish prophet to go into this unwelcoming city. Some have suggested it would have been a deadly mission. And maybe we can sympathise. If we were to ask for volunteers this morning to take a message from the Lord to Afghanistan right now, you can begin to feel what a challenge that would look like. However, Jonah doesn't leave it to our imaginations for us in in examining his mindset. In fact, he tells us exactly in chapter four what he was thinking. Please turn with me now to chapter four from verse one. Picking up from verse one, chapter four, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "O Lord, isn't this not this? Sorry, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country?" That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So here we have it. That's his motivation. Jonah wanted the Gentile Ninevites to be the recipients of God's wrath and to be therefore wiped off of the face of the earth. He knew that God... Our God is a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster, and rather than giving the people of Nineveh an opportunity to repent, he wanted them to perish. The Ninevites were clueless to the way of salvation. Here they were in their wicked sin, heading for total destruction. And yet God, because of his steadfast love, Relenting from disaster, he chose to send a warning through his prophet Jonah. And we will get much encouragement from this point a little later as to how God used what was probably a half hearted, unenthusiastic message. And yet, still, God used that to bring about the repentance of a great city. But now, let's have a look at a couple of ways in which we can learn from this context this morning in a way in which. It will be helpful for an evangelistic church. Question one, has God given us here in Eastbourne in 2021 a message to tell others? And two, if so, who is the message for? And we've already clearly seen in our text this morning, God called Jonah to give a message Jonah chapter 1, verse 2 Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So that was the message God gave Jonah to take to Nineveh. But what about us? What has God called us to do or to say? Does God have a specific message for the people of Eastbourne, our town, who, much like Nineveh, are utterly lost as to the way of salvation and on the brink of destruction? Well, I think the Bible's clear. We do, and what an amazing message we have. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, listen to what Jesus tells his disciples in the Great Commission. "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations,' baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, starting from verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to in, to us the message of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us and as we know a church that has an evangelistic posture and has a heart for the lost, a deep desire for unbelievers that are far from the Lord to repent, to turn away from their life in rebellion to Christ, and instead put their faith in Christ as their Lord and Saviour. So, has God given us a message to tell others today? Absolutely. The incredibly good news of the Gospel. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 15. How then will they call on him? in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You may recall a quote from Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary. The great commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. As believers, for those in Christ, God has given us a message of salvation in our audience. The recipients of that message is for sinners all over the world, including here in our own town, Eastbourne. Eastbourneians, just like the Ninevites, do not know that they are heading for the gate that is wide and easy, leading them to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Claiming to be wise... They became fools. Romans chapter 1 verse 22. East Bourneans, here in our town, many of whom are strangers to us at the moment, but will almost certainly include family members, friends, work colleagues, neighbours, lost people that do not know their left hand from their right hand, just like those busy in their everyday lives sat there in Nineveh, oblivious to their looming destruction. Dead in their trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 4. Let us remind ourselves afresh this morning that the word gospel means good news, but yet the the world is oblivious to the bad news. According to the Barna Research Group in California, and I quote, Most Americans do not expect to experience hell firsthand. Just one half of one percent expect to go to hell upon their death. Nearly two-thirds of Americans, at 63%, believe that they will go to heaven. 57% 57 of the people polled felt that they will get to heaven because of some form of good works, leaving another 6%, believing that their entrance to heaven would be based upon the fact that God loves all people and will not let them perish. Now, anyone that has spent time sharing their faith with an unbeliever will know that the Atlantic Ocean does not change this tragic, common, unbiblical opinion. The opinion that people are generally good, that the term sinner is reserved for those really bad people, and that most people on the day of judgment will have their good and bad deeds weighed, and because of a confidence in their own good works, they will be declared innocent. A foolish and deadly confidence in their hard work. A confidence in the faith that their parents or husband and wife has, a confidence in their charitable giving, a confidence in their church attendance, or a confidence in, their, in the world's biggest lie—that which it is possible to be saved apart from Christ. Bible-believing Christians know and understand that faith in Christ is absolutely and exclusively. The only way in which somebody can be saved. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Luke writes, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. As Christians, we often talk about the second coming, but it seems that half the world have never heard of the first. We read in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jonathan Edwards famously said, We contribute nothing to our salvation except for sin that made it necessary. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. You see, that's the heart of an evangelist. That's the heart of a church that wants to reach the lost. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread and if you are here this morning and unsure of your salvation or maybe watching online and you've never considered these things before you need to as an absolute priority ask yourself the question as to where you will be spending eternity because it is only those in christ that can turn around with absolute confidence and say that they know The Christian knows, not because of anything deserving or righteous in themselves, but because of the confidence that they have in their Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. The believer knows that as a sinner, they were separated from a holy God, and that we have a just God who cannot and will not let the guilty go unpunished. And yet, as an act of love and mercy, he sent his Son who came and lived a perfect life and willingly and lovingly gave himself to die on a cross. An innocent, perfect man, fully God and yet fully man, executed to pay the price of guilty sinners, who he exchanges his perfect life for the life of the guilty, who on the day of judgment will be declared innocent because of the faith in the blood of our Saviour, the spotless Lamb. This is the incredible substitution of our guilty dirty sinful lives for his perfect righteousness how blessed we are as believers who have experienced God's grace in our own lives how can this not motivate us to go and shout this from the rooftops there I was dead in my sin standing condemned and yet here I now am a child of God but maybe you sit there and say to yourself but you do not know how bad I've been the secret sins the darkest parts of our lives that we are utterly ashamed of, yet our Saviour knows it all, and he still says, Come, remember the Ninevites. You do not have to sit there this morning and plan on cleaning yourself up before throwing yourself upon the Lord. That is like washing yourself before taking a shower. There is no purgatory for you. You do not have to work extra hard for your forgiveness. For those in Christ, it is finished. So our second question this morning, if we are to share this gospel message, then who is it for? Who are we to tell? And we've already covered this a little bit, but the evangelistic mission of the church is to reach the lost with the gospel. So our target audience are sinners. Everyone. In our passage today, we have seen that God used Jonah to show his mercy upon Nineveh, a great Gentile city, and we can be encouraged that God is still extending that mercy to sinners today. Metaphorically, if you were to think back to the ark, the door to that great big boat is still open. It has yet to rain. But the opportunity is limited. It is time-stamped. We do not know when the door will be closed. We may think of Luke chapter 13 picking up from verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem and somebody asked him, Lord are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many I tell you will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, Open the door to us. But he will not answer. I don't know, sorry, he will answer. I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. We have to understand, grace towards sinners will end. There will be no evangelism in eternity the door will already have been closed. As well-respected Bible teacher Jerry Ragg says, and I quote, there is a time coming when the owner of the house will close the door, yet there we are often trying to make a wider door, a happier door, or an easier door. It is likely that in our lifetime we have met someone that has said, yeah, yeah, I believe all that God stuff, but I want to live my life and I will become a Christian on my deathbed. It is absolutely delusional. A time is coming when grace towards sinners will end. What more motivation do we need? The time is upon us where we can still be used by the Lord. Imagine a scenario where you somehow had the 100% cure for COVID-19 and you administered it to yourself and then you safely tucked it away in your sock drawer, never to speak about it again. Complacency is not the friend of evangelism. If I knew that someone I loved was stuck in a house that was on fire, what would I do? Well, I'd like to think that I would drive there as quickly as possible and bash down the door and drag that person out to safety. But why? To save the next 30 or 40 years of their life and yet as Christians, we know of something that will 100% affect the outcome of where someone spends eternity and yet we can allow a number of reasons to subdue our urgency but we still have time to be prayerfully used by the Lord as a tool in his hand to proclaim this message of salvation. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Matthew chapter 9 verse 37. There may be many here that are already active in sharing their faith and there will be many here that the Lord has used as a tool to save people, to 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 disciple people, or to help people grow in their faith and knowledge and love for the Lord, but for some. Maybe this is a new idea. Maybe this seems uncomfortable or even scary. And if you're feeling like that this morning, let me gently encourage you. We do not have to wait until we become theologians before sharing our faith. A basic understanding of the gospel message is enough. A way of being able to share your testimony clearly is enough. Giving someone a sound biblical book, a tract, a Bible, can be used by the Lord. And we must remember that God used what seemed like a half-hearted, grumpy message from Jonah to bring a whole city to repentance. We actually bring so little to the table in this whole dynamic. It is so reassuring to know that we can have confidence in the Lord and know that he is in charge of the harvest and our role is to scatter the seed generously and then to pray. A willingness to be used by the Lord, to get up and go to Nineveh, even when we feel like getting in a boat and going to Tarshish instead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing word, Lord, that we can consider this morning. Father, we thank you that we have access to your your bible and the truth that you contain in it we'll ask you this morning father that if there's anything that i have said that is not of you lord that we that you take that away father but if there is anything that is useful i pray that you stir it up in us this morning and throughout the week to really give us your heart for the lost father we pray for your will to be done in this church and in our lives father and that we are to be obedient and to be used as tools in your hand and what a privilege! That is, Father, that you have chosen us as weak vessels to share your amazing gospel message. In Jesus' name, Amen.